Hi, thanks for listening to Bowties and Business. This is Tim Kubiak. As always, you can find us on our socials at Bowties and Business on Facebook and Instagram, Bowties and B-I-Z on Twitter, and me at Tim Kubiak on Facebook, Instagram, and timkubiak.com. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the show. Today, we're joined by Julia Maria to discuss entrepreneurship, incubators, the power of starting a small business, and creating a legacy. Sounds like our usual fare? Well, not exactly. Julia will be helping us understand all these things from an African perspective. So stay tuned and get ready to learn about starting a business in Mozambique. Julio is an award-winning professional who's trained more than 600 people in marketing and business and entrepreneurship. He also led the launch and management of a top-tier incubation program in his native Mozambique. He believes that we are powerful beyond measure. We just need to remember that and step into our power and enable others to do the same. As an authentic thought leader, he's made the remarkable contributions to the Mozambique Nordic Good Growth Day in 2018 conference, the Global Entrepreneurship Congress in 2019, Seed Stars Summit in 2019, and has touched the lives of more than 2,000 people. The impact of his work didn't go unnoticed at an international level. In 2019 alone, Julio was recognized as 100 most influential young Africans. He became a holder of the prestigious Diana Award, and he won the most outstanding delegate award at the Global Goals Model UN. To be able to do what he does and better service community, Julio has invested in himself. Bachelor's degree in agriculture engineering with a major from ISPM in Mozambique, He's a certified business advisor from Growth Will International. He holds a digital marketing specialization from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Along with other certifications, Julia holds a mentoring program design and an entrepreneurship training methodology build by the Youth Business International. Julia, welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time. Thank you very much, Tim. I'm super happy to be here. And thanks for the great introduction. <laughs> ah, you know, you made it easy. You've done a lot of amazing <laughs> things. You know, when I go back and look at your LinkedIn and talk to you about your bio, really impressive with what you've accomplished and impressive that you're already starting of to think about what your legacy is as a very young man. So talk <laughs> about what led you here. Well, that's such a great question. Um, First of all, when it comes to legacy, I always believe that we are always meant to leave our planet way better than we found it, right? Um, I am a millennial, so I'm only capable uh, to think about impact and legacy because the generations before me did such a great job in making sure that I have access to so many opportunities. So it's just uh, my duty to pass along um, the same sort of opportunities and possibilities to the next generations. Now, when we spoke before, you talked a little bit about, you know, the encouragement to be an entrepreneur, and it's a little different. As Americans, we're often raised with the start a business, start a business, start a business mentality, right, and whatnot. That's not necessarily the case in Africa. So, can do you mind sharing a little bit about sort of the cultural background? Ah, yes, sure. So first things first, um, a lot of people that are not African, they think that Africa is just a huge country because just a huge chunk of land where in fact uh, Africa has more than 50 countries and each one of them is completely different than the other one. Um, speaking specifically of Mozambique, we are so young as a nation, we are um, only 45 years old as a nation 
And before that, Mozambique is one of those countries that has almost ever been colonized um, or really had such strong influences. Um, first of all, from the Arabs um, and then by the Portuguese. Uh, that's why we speak Portuguese in Mozambique. And then when we become independent, um, we really went to a phase where we were socialists with some heavy communist influence. And then we have a civil war. And then after the war, that's when um, we became capitalists and having like an open market to do business. So when you look to Mozambique, we don't have generations upon generations of entrepreneurs, right? Like we're just starting up. Um, you no, know, just like my, my, my parents' generation as like the generation of entrepreneurs that we have. And for the longest time, being an entrepreneur here was all about just making ends meet and not necessarily creating and um, driving change in our country. Um, this is changing, of course. Uh, we have a lot of young people as myself that uh, really committed to make it, um, to, you know, to really change our history and making sure that the next generations have more opportunities than we had. So when you look, you have a university degree and in a lot of places, right, that's the path onto, I'll say the corporate wheel, right, or a big company yeah. wheel or a government position. You've chosen to go a different route. And, you know, knowing a little bit more about your backstory, you've chosen to invest your time and your intellect into helping people start businesses in a big way. Why? Well, yeah, so I had... Uh, a very brief corporate experience. I did an internship in one of the largest um, agricultural companies here in Mozambique. It was a great time. I learned a lot. Um, one thing that really struck me was this such a heavy structure that a lot of uh, those large companies usually have, right? You don't have a lot of um, space to create and to be bold and to just kind of follow your gut. You're basically just following a system. And there was something that I wasn't really resonating with. That was one reason. Um, the other reason was that I was always being passionate around education. Um, I came from a family of teachers. So I grew up surrounded by books, uh, by teaching people. And you know, there's this story that uh, just when I was like days old, my mother would take me um, to, uh, to her lessons and I would be like in my crib, you know, in the corner of the classroom, just, uh, you know, just being there and just being soaking in this educational environment. So it's really embedded in who I am. Um, and I was, I was around my last year in university when a friend of mine decided to create this technical vocational training program. So he had the old business background, not much on educational background, which is my nature. And it was a perfect match. That's why um, and how I created my first uh, business ever. Really just following my passion and following the opportunities that I have. Uh, it, doesn't, it didn't start at all as changing, you know, the narrative of young entrepreneurs in Africa or the young entrepreneurs in Mozambique. It just started out as being something that I really loved. But it grew and it grew quickly. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, uh, I believe that if you put your energy and passion around something and if you're open to listen to the market, definitely um, you're putting yourself up to build something that will last way longer than yourself. So how do you start to create a message to people that they should go start their own businesses? <laughs> when that's so not the I, cultural norm, right? Not at all, not at all. So I believe that being an entrepreneur is, just, is not just about starting your own business, it's a mindset and a daily practice, right? So it's not necessarily just starting your own business. You can be an entrepreneur inside an organization. Um, I grew up with a divorced mother, so I was blessed enough to not struggle throughout my childhood. And I will see that a lot of my friends, they will have both parents, they will be like financially struggling way, way, way more than I was. 
And from my young age, I always wonder, you know, I only have one parent, right? I should be worse than my friends with both parents because there's two people contributing to their income. That's when I realized that um, oftentimes we consider that people have like a special skill or a special sauce, but really it's about their mindset. Right. My mother has always been an entrepreneur herself um, within an organization and she had plenty uh, of side gigs. Um, so that mindset of creating things and making sure that she's answering a need that, you know, it's clear in the market or clear in her organization really kind of put a, uh, her in a position where she could um, not only make more money, but also uh, change the life of hundreds of people. Right. And that was the kind of mindset that I realized that if I went to support people to grow, they have to be ready not only to have access but really to seize the opportunities that um, they're presenting to themselves right and also being able to create those opportunities in the first place um, that's uh, how i really got into uh, really supporting people to start their own businesses and if you are an entrepreneur yourself uh, i remember when i was six months into my first startup and i was making all these big decisions and people were like oh Julie, that's such a great idea and I remember thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I have no clue what I'm doing here. I'm doing the best that I can, but I'm sure there must be something better than this that I'm just not um, aware of it, right? And I had one of the toughest conversations I ever had with my co-founder, and I decided that I'm going to um, look for a job where I could develop my leadership. And that's how I end up of working for Ideal Lab, a Mozambican company that all the whole business core of the company support other people to start and grow their businesses. And that's how I end up leading one of the uh, top tier incubation programs here in Mozambique. So some things I don't know about Mozambique, and I'm sure most of our yeah. listeners don't. What are the main industries there? Um, agriculture is a huge one. Especially on small scale, we have uh, larger investments coming in. Uh, tourism is the second one. And recently, we are seeing a huge boom around oil and gas and coal. Okay. So those are like the three main industries. Um, but in general, I say that in Africa, if it's anything related with um, natural resources, you are in the right place to do it. So if young people are looking to start companies, are yeah. they picking things that help support those major industries or are they going outside of that thought process? It's a bit of both. Um, there's always a huge connection around those areas because there are a lot of um, government incentives to do so. But I found that especially uh, youth in the cities, they're most focusing on services that are kind of like just improving the quality of life in cities, right? So things as um, water management, um, delivery services, um, you know, organizing events and stuff like that. And ICTs are really like booming in cities. But if you go to the countryside, it's all natural um, based or natural resource based businesses. And you're seeing people though, in both kind of geographies, right? Rural as well as urban starting businesses. Yep. 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 So if you're the average young person in Mozambique and you go home <laughs> and you tell your mom or your dad or both, Hey, you know, I don't want to go to work for XYZ company. I, I want to start my own thing. What kind of answer did uh -huh. they get? Are you crazy? <laughs> I didn't invest my entire life savings to make sure that you study so that now you're saying you're going to start your own business. Like you're just being so disrespectful. <laughs> like I'm paraphrasing and being nice. Right. Um, but really that's uh, what most young people listen uh, here in Mozambique most of the times. And 
I know I coach several uh, entrepreneurs in that situation. It's very easy for uh, for them to like resent their parents, right? That's why I always say it's you know first things first. Let's understand where your parent is coming from. Again, if you look in the Mozambican history, um, our parents are used to go to school. If you had a university degree, that's a hundred percent chance that you're going to get a job at the government, a fairly paying job, and you don't have to worry about anything for the rest of your life, right? But this was like 30 years ago, 10 years ago. Nowadays, if you look at the statistics, it's terrifying. There are way, way, way too uh, many young people um, with either degrees and a lot of people without a degrees, they're ready to enter the workforce, but there are not enough jobs. And I found that surprisingly enough, there's not the reality only in Mozambique, it's in many countries throughout the world, not even in Africa, literally yeah. everywhere in the world, right? So there is a huge need for young people to set up and really just take the lead on creating the life that they want. And by doing so, it's also important to understand where our support system, our family is coming from, right? In their reality, it was completely different. So it's really about having those tough conversations and really uh, showcasing to our parents or to our support system that the reality is different right now. It's not that uh, I don't want to get a job or I don't want to work for someone else. It's that there's just not enough jobs. So it's better for me to go and do my own thing. It's something that is good and going to impact the life of other people instead of just sitting at home, right? So what does it take like from a regulatory perspective? Do you have to file papers with a federal government, with a uh-huh. city government? I don't understand your government structure. What's it take to actually file and start a business? Oh, uh, it's, it's such a nightmare, unfortunately, here in Mozambique. Um, the fun thing is that there are different entities around you registering your business. So you have to go, of course, to the whole, um, you know, commerce chamber and then also to the banks and uh, sometimes even to the legal aspects of it and to the licensing bodies and a lot of the times they're not aware of the process right and the process also depends over rise depending on the person who is um, attending to your question um, you don't have anything online that you can go and just file and register your business in like 10 minutes so you really still have to go to the agencies yourself and depending on the person moods uh First, you might have to go to the bank and then you go to the bank and they're going to ask you to like a pre-register file and then to get their pre-register file, you need to have a bank account. So there's some funny game that goes on, um, but I found that once you know the process and you're able to be flexible enough to really work and explain to people behind the desks how they should be doing their work, it actually ends up working as well. So here, I'm I'm a technology background guy. And I've got literally have a friend doing a pitch to venture capitalists in the Valley this week out in San Francisco. How do you raise capital in Mozambique to fund your business, to fund your expansion? (laughs) I often say people that um, if you're studying up and not expansion, right? Because there are different stages. If you're studying up, the three F's are the best source of, uh, of, money that you can have, right? Your, your friends, your family, and the foes. (laughs) Um, And really just starting out businesses that you can, do without the least amount of capital possible. Um, we are still growing in terms of understanding how business investing work. There are not a lot of um, VC investors or impact investors that, uh, for the matter, but I found that there are a lot of uh, international grants to support entrepreneurs, especially in um, developing countries. Right, so that's a huge thing here in Mozambique and in Africa in general. You have great competitions. Um, I think. 
the Jack Ma from Alibaba, Alibaba just uh, opened one of the huge uh, award schemes for startups ever in Africa. So if you are creative enough to tap into those opportunities and a lot of development agencies as well, um, they provide funds uh, that you don't have to pay with zero interest rate. And sometimes with even not, um, you don't have to pay it back. Um, so it's a great way for you to get it. And I often say that regardless of the situation and regardless of the economy, you should be focusing on having your clients to finance your business, right? That's the way that you validate your product and your service. You validate that whatever you're doing actually matter. And then you also get in the money that you need in order to start up. But then once you're already in business and you're looking to expand, we have banks with high interest rates, um, but still we have them. And more and more, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who made it and they are willing to invest in businesses. Uh, of course, after uh, the whole kind of like business concept is being validated. Okay. So here in America, you can start a business on a whim. I can file online and <laughs> where I live and do all the paperwork and probably under an hour without a lawyer, right? And it costs me- there yet. <laughs> cost me $50 US. Um, how much investment just in forms and in filing fees and stuff does somebody run into? Yeah, so it depends on the type of business you are um, kind of like setting it up. The cheapest one will go around $900. Okay. Uh, I'm not even joking. Just That's in like government fees though, right? Yeah, just, just yeah. when you're setting your business. Like you're not... Um, doing anything else, just investing your business and making sure you are 100% legal, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's why I often say to people like don't, especially here, but really everywhere, uh, don't go ahead and register and file your business before you have validated that it's worth your time and your money for a matter of fact, right? Because a lot of people get stuck in the, the, the mindset that, oh, I can only do business once I'm registered. But really, um, in many countries, you can go ahead and sell lemonade in the streets uh, without a license, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Uh, so you can still validate your business um, without having to go through that. And there are also a lot of um, sort of open market platforms that you can register into so you can start doing business as a freelancer, right? Before you're going ahead and register a company, um, like a full uh, grown company. So what, what's an example of an open market platform somebody could use? Um, like in the US is Fiverr, for instance, right? You don't have yep. to be licensed to go into Fiverr necessarily, but you can still validate if, you're, um, if there is demand for your business. Um, in Mozambique, I use Coffee Chat, for instance, especially because of my international business. It's a nightmare to have payments coming to Mozambique. And I found that by having like all payments done via a source, by a, you know, a unique platform, they sorted everything for me and I just have money in my bank account without many um, hustles and bustles. So do you have people that are starting businesses here? You had people in the early days of eBay that stood up shops. You have independent sellers that sell on Amazon. Uh, people that yeah. create things sell on Etsy. Are there Mozambique type equivalents of those platforms for people to start uh, on? They're usually African-based ones, not necessarily Mozambican ones, but they're African ones. Okay. Um, we had uh, Jumia was a huge one. Uh, we had all OLX for a little while, but then it was closed off a few months. Um, yeah, a few months ago. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot of platforms like that that you can go ahead and just uh, share your products and services. And something that usually is different from uh, you know the rest of the world in Africa, we use a lot of. Um, sort of like mobile-based 
apps and payment systems. So there's a lot of uh, business being done via WhatsApp groups, a lot of business done via Facebook groups on Instagram. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that. And I believe that's quite uh, unique from Africa Then you don't have just as much in the rest of the world. Maybe in Southeast Asia, but in Africa, it's very, very strongly. Very strong. Interesting. And does that help deal with some of the currency things that Coffee Chat takes out of your business? Oh, yeah, it does. But on this particular case, I wouldn't be able to process international payments so easily. And okay. because we train a lot international, I have clients really from every single uh, continent. It would be a nightmare for me to go one by one at a bank every time that money will come through um, right. my bank account. So when you're shipping between countries within Africa, do you have to deal with import and export requirements and local law compliance and things like that? You know, one of the most asked question is the one that you were just asking me, and I totally get it um, because it's just Africa is a huge chunk of land. One will assume the logistics will be just easier, right? Um, there's not like a lot of rivers or uh, sort of like big separations, but unfortunately it's not. Logistics is one of the areas where there is so much opportunity in Africa in general, um, especially around, as you mentioned, getting products shipped etc it can take a really long time especially if it is uh, between countries in the same country can be hard uh, but between countries is even harder um, and again not everyone is fully aware of the legislations so you really have to educate yourself before engaging in such a business yeah and, and i find that it's a joke it's an american problem everyone looks <laughs> at the that doesn't do international business looks at it like shipping between two states in, in the US, right? I'm going from Ohio yeah. to this. I've got one tax thing to worry about and I'm good. And I know even within the EU, there's problems. So yeah, yeah, right? it has it, everywhere. yeah. yeah. So you, you have to change, you have to pay the tax, you have to add the tax, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And here in Africa, you have a lot of informal business going on. It's actually the informal economy moves way more money, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, around 60% more or 60% of the whole African economy is informal. So there is a huge, huge money being moved um, that doesn't even go to taxes or um, anything of that matter. That's interesting. So, you know, and it probably my guess would be is it came out of both political background as well as just a market-based culture, right? You don't... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, based on both, literally. Um, and again, the fact that not a lot of people know the law, a lot of people end up developing this uh, belief that, you know, formalizing your business is a waste of time and it's just going to like slowing down your growth, um, which in fact, in part of it is true, but not 100% true. And there are way more uh, benefits and growth opportunities once you're formalized. Right? But I guess it's just how you transition from being informal to formal in a way that makes sense for the entrepreneur. How do you teach an entrepreneur to market their business? They validated Ooh. the concept, they sold to their, <laughs> their 15 friends and their 100 closest friends of those friends. Now they're trying to scale. How do you reach a bigger market there? The, one, the billion dollar question, right? <laughs> at at least the $10 million dollar question. <laughs> To be honest, it really comes down to each business, a few kind of like general things being mined. And I often say this is like, make sure that your operations are scalable, right? Because you don't want to be marketing and kind of like selling um, 
you know, to a general and open audience and then don't having the capacity to meet the demand, right? So make sure that your operations are scalable, um, not only in terms of, um, you know, the resources that people working with you, but the process behind your business is number one. And then as you are growing to new markets, make sure that you understand that the market that you're going in. Um, even within Africa, it's so easy uh, just to give everyone an example. Uh, Mozambique is neighboring with South Africa, right? We speak different languages, uh, but in terms of local language, especially if you are in the south of Mozambique and um, in South Africa, we understand each other's local language. Um, so it's easier for you to think that you can just go to South Africa and have a business that's going to be successful there. Even though we're in the same country, we, are, we couldn't be more different. So make sure that you understand the market you are in and be open to learn and to make mistakes as well. Um, it's funny thing, even with my name, right? My name is Julio. Uh, that's the correct pronunciation of my name. It's a Portuguese version. But every time they're doing business, especially for someone from North America, they'll call me Julio, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't get angry or pissed off because it's natural, right? Like the most um, proximity they have with a Latin language is Spanish and in Spanish it's Julio. Mm-hmm. So just something as small as that can really make like a setback if you're not ready or if you're not open to learn and to, um, and to change really. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting because I've been in Mexico city with Brazilians, native Mexicans and Colombians <laughs> and to listen to them argue over pronunciations is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Right. Um, and I'll say that the last thing is make sure that you are collaborating with people. Um, you know, it's way harder for me to just go from Mozambique to the U.S. and start a business out there um, if I don't have, if I don't know the people, if I don't know, if I don't have someone to collaborate and kind of like someone who is streetwise to, you know, to open networks for me to like give me the, the tips and tricks of how is it to do business in America. So always focus on collaboration. You'll go a long way, way faster than so- if you were doing it alone. Are you seeing more male or female entrepreneurs? Uh, both, but I'll say more females uh, in general. And I also found that not only there are more women doing business, surprisingly enough, uh, but what I really appreciate is that women are more willing to ask for help, either is uh, by looking for a mentor, a coach, um, an advisor, uh, a role model. Women are in general more keen into um, in asking for help and receiving that help and implementing it. That's why, um, at least on many of my clients, uh, women are, end up getting way bigger results, way faster than most men. And when should somebody come to you, right? It, when they have an idea, when they've proven it uh-huh. and are ready to go to the next step, where in the journey? I'm specifically going from brainstorming, like you you just want to be an entrepreneur and you just don't know what to do. You don't even have an idea. <laughs> okay. I can step into and just, uh, you know, shake you a little bit to ensure that you have a strong firm idea that's completely aligned with who you are till to a point where you're ready to scale. Um, so that's where I'm into. I'm not into the big companies or at least I have a different offer for those companies. But if you are just, you want to be an entrepreneur, you just don't know what to do. I'm your right guy. Till to the point where you're already in business you want to scale up and you just freak it out about all the, you know, the steps that you have to go through in order to expand your business. Do you see people coming in with foreign investment because you're a growing economy in a capitalist society? Do you see? Oh yeah, a lot. Yeah. A lot. Um, in terms of foreign uh, investors, the, it comes actually in both ways. People that are outside of Mozambique, outside of Africa and are looking to invest in Mozambique uh, or in Africa and 
locals wanting to invest and they they're old in um, foreign capital, right? The main thing with that is based on my experience, a lot of uh, the people behind that capital, they're not fully aware of what really takes to make business in Africa and Mozambique, right? Um, so they have all those expectations and beliefs that they don't really match our reality. Um, and oftentimes I found that I end up having to work more in the relationship between the investor and the business instead of actually working on scaling and growing the business or operating the business here. Funny enough. <laughs> you have to teach them how to do business there. Yeah. 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 But also how to have a, uh, you know, I empower relationship between them. Right. Because oftentimes the investor is not in Africa. They never been in Africa or they've been into Cape town one of the like most visited cities in, in Africa and in South Africa. Yeah. And they assume that the entire continent and the entire country is like that, right? Which is not true. Um, so yeah, I really spend, end up spending more time ensuring that they have a healthy relationship. So I know a little bit about business in South Africa because I worked for 20 years for a company that was held by a holding company there. And one of the challenges South Africa's had is you can't, move the rand out of the country, right? So if you earn profits in the country, yeah. you have to continue to invest it. Does Mozambique have the same kind of restrictions? Funnily enough, not really, but the Mozambican currency isn't, so to speak, powerful enough to be val you know, validated in many countries. Just to give an example, um, I was traveling to Malaysia um, and I had some Metikai that I wanted to exchange into the local currency or into dollars, and they wouldn't accept it. And it's a reality. A lot of countries, they won't even accept a Metikai, right? Um, but the restriction that's been put in into is in the amount of, or at least the percentage of foreign currency that you can have in the country. So for the longest time, if let's say in some, a client from the US will pay me, I will automatically have to convert half of that into metikash in the rate that was determined by the bank. Now that's changing, I can still negotiate the rate, but still half of it has to be converted into metikash automatically. Automatically. Yeah, I can still negotiate the rate at least, <laughs> but it has to happen. <laughs> Banks always win. <laughs> banks always win <laughs> they're like they're oh, like yeah. casinos in las vegas they didn't build those buildings because people <laughs> won a lot <laughs> i love that analogy i'm going to start using it, <laughs> it you know it, it's funny i i was raised to say you know don't trust politicians and don't trust bankers because they'll always make money on you <laughs> but i also found that if you are open to have like a healthy relationship with them they are actually very useful they are. And, and you talked about building your network earlier. You know, some of the yeah. best relationships I've seen develop for young and growing stage companies is their banks, their investors, their venture funds, oh, yeah. because they connect them with so many other resources. You know? Yeah, definitely. And they even negotiate or they're willing to give you tips on how to use their products and services correctly. Um, you know, I, I was just, last week I was coaching a client and he, they kind of like, they had a huge, they made a huge debt before, uh, you know, the pandemic and all of that stuff. So with the crisis, they weren't able to pay, you know, all the, um, all the, the loan corrected, right? And I said, you know what, just go and negotiate with them. You know, you are in business for like uh, around almost five years. They already know you, they have a track record, really negotiate with them in terms of the interest rate, in terms of, um, you know, if you can pay it, let's say three months from now, really have the time to have that conversation with them.
and most people just freeze in those situations, right? Even when it comes to paying real rent, um, most landlords, they will be willing to, um, you know, to accept that you go two months without paying. But if you're honest with them, right, and really explain what's going on. Yeah. So you brought up the pandemic. How has it affected business in your country? I will say that it's way better than I will uh, imagine it will affect, even in terms of just our general lifestyle and the number of deaths and uh, infections going on. Um, it's way better than I was expecting. A lot of business did um, when affected because um, a lot of our business are you know, physical. They have to be in person to do business and not necessarily online businesses. Um, so for that, yeah, there is a huge setback going on. But I found that I believe it's our nature as Mozambicans um, to be flexible and manage change. So yeah, we managed to survive. Most business did. Um, and yeah, they are thriving. That's amazing to hear because we're on the other end of that other than our stock market. <laughs> Right. And, and I guess that's not completely fair. I have clients that have done three times the business they did last year. And then I have clients that have no business at all yeah. and very little yeah. in the middle. So. And surprisingly enough, I found that it's way more a mindset type, uh, type of challenge than there is a really strategic one. Um, a lot of people are, they're just only in a mindset to embrace change and very least to actually lead the change, right? They're trying to keep things as they were instead of um, embracing it and really creating something new out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this will drive a business evolution like we haven't seen in a very long time, perhaps more so than the internet. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, I believe it's something that we all prayed for. Uh, we just didn't expect it to be so sudden, right? Like I coach also... Um, professionals because I have this very business oriented approach in managing our careers. I do believe that, you know, it's very similar than people think. Um, so yeah, it's really about you understanding that. And I, I get a lot of people saying like, oh, I will love to work from home. I will love to spend more time with my family. I will love to have the freedom to work whatever I want. Well, now you kind of have that freedom <laughs> and you are complaining, but what do you think is going to happen if you work from home and if you have two kids, they are small, right? Um, of course, maybe before they went to school, but then a lot of people were saying that, oh, the education system is not really working. Here's your chance to be more active in your, child edu in your children's education, right? So yeah, it's um, the sort of conversation that we end up having. That's an interesting that you're having the same conversations we're having, right? Continents <laughs> and plane rides apart, and it's the same conversation because we have our schools would be going back in the next few weeks here. And we literally are every day have different schools that are deciding not to open and are going online. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, it is, it just is what it is. You know, I, I used to fly 200 times a year. I've taken four plane rides this year, I think at this point. Right. That's okay. Yeah, you see, and also yeah, it is. And also I believe uh, at least for me was a huge uh, eye opening because from the beginning I decided that uh, my business trade knowledge international was going to be an online business. Um, I was trying to do a lot of traveling international, but then when the international flight scene became um, so much, so uncertain, I decided to go into travel internally in my country. And it was great. I, I was able to visit places that I've never, I've never been. Others I've been when I was like five years old or something. So if you just change your mindset, um, if you're looking for opportunities, you will find them. And guess what? If you look for problems and reason to complain, you are also going to find them. <laughs> so you're, you coach professionals, you coach entrepreneurs, yeah. right? 
what kind of yeah. problems do you solve for people? How, why should people reach out to you? I, I often say that I'm in the power and the transformation business. I, I really believe, as you mentioned, you know, I, a lot of things in our life, they end up coming out of imbalances in power. A lot of people believe that um, their power has been stripped away from them, that, um, you know, the system is uh, responsible for who they are and what you're doing, which I will say that there is part of truth that our systems and people have a huge influence in who we are and what we do. But in the end of the day, no one can steal your power. You can only give your power away. Most of the times we do it unconsciously. Um, but once you remember that your power is yours and really no one can really steal it, it's up to you to claim back your own power and decide what you're going to do with it. You understand that there's literally infinite possibilities. Like who will guess that a kid, an African kid, born in one of like the smallest towns in, in the continent will be in, doing podcasts and be doing um, speaking engagements for like, thousands of people no one will say that right i was against all the odds but here i am here i stand um, so yeah it's possible and, and when it comes to transformation a lot of people are looking to change their lives and their situations either go their business or uh, change a career or ditch their nine to five but they're not willing to change themselves and guess what transformation doesn't happen without change um so really you have to be comfortable enough to lead the change so that you can live the life that you want so if you're looking for change, if you're looking to gain your power back, I'm your guy. <laughs> there you go. So, um, I often talk to people about books. What yeah. kind of business books are popular for you? Oh, I, I'm having in mind two books right now. One is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I believe that's his last name. Uh -huh. And I love the book because it speaks about the systems they're in right like from the basic things from being an athlete and the recruiting dates of uh, the players having a huge influence especially if you accumulate uh, the benefits that you get um you know in in a long period of time but what i love about this book is that it's not for you to understand the system and feel a prayer a victim of it but once you understand the system you can start positioning yourself better and position yourself to win right because not everyone wants to change the system, let's face it, or sometimes you're not in a position to do so, but you are always in a position um, to make a better move, right? And it's really building from that. That's one book. The other one is Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's a very tactic, strategic business, but I found that it's insights you can really apply in every single area of your life. If you want to go from good to great, that's your book. <laughs> okay. And I've got to ask the question. So, you know, who would be name, household name entrepreneurs in your country? Oh, we have a few. We have, uh, depending on the industry, we have Taibu Bakar. He's a, a designer that literally dressed people on the red carpets all around the Africa and many countries in know in Europe. Um, that's one household name. Um, we have Salim Abdullah. He's in Portugal right now. He has a huge, huge uh, investment uh, or this a huge holding um, going on here in the country. And so depending on the industry, you all, always have a name. And again, they're very young people. Um, I mean, the oldest guy will probably be around six years old. And like, he is the generation. This is the first generation, right? Right. So again, you don't have hundreds of and thousands of years of entrepreneurship going on. How is technology in your country? 
You talked about people paying with mobile apps. Are those apps that are developed on your continent and your country? You know, is that a growing part of the economy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. A um, lot of the telecom companies, they realize that there is a huge opportunity around, um, you know, because people are already trading money. Um, and, uh, you know, linking that with, uh, with, you know, the telecom services, they can really profit from it. So a lot of the apps that we use, they are locally made, uh, either in the country or in our neighbor countries. Uh, so, for instance, one of the biggest um, mobile payment system here is called M-Pesa. It's started in Kenya, and they really grow from Kenya to Tanzania um, to Malawi, Zimbabwe, now Mozambique. So, yeah, it's very local. And I guess it works because um, and also it's really just answering your question around technology. Most people think that if you are in a developing country, your main concerns will be the basic needs like food, shelter, which they are for most people. But guess what? People are way more motivated about what's possible instead of what is a source of concern for them. So, you know, with a mobile phone, you get access to in the entire world. That's why people are interested in. Um, when instead of, you know, if you're looking for a way to make, um, you know, to increase your yield in agriculture or to increase your uh, production of eggs, not that interesting it is. So, yeah, people <laughs> are really tech-driven even here. <laughs> yeah, and, and I bet the innovation looks completely different because you're serving different major industries, right? Different markets. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'll argue again that it really comes down in that particular uh, subject goes down to basic needs. So you see a lot of innovation around basic products like all essential oils, um, food, uh, food processing and stuff like that. There's a lot of innovation going around. And if you're in the US and you're trying to make business in Africa, there's a lot and lot of opportunities. But again, make sure that you are creating um, the sort of right set of collaborations to set you up for, to succeed. So is there, is there a bias so I'll use Canada, my neighbor, as an example, right? Often uh -huh. Canadians um, almost resent when American companies move in to Canadian territories. Do you see that with whether it's European companies moving in or American or even Latin American companies? And I don't mean to, you know, make it political. It's just a cultural thing. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, I'm thinking because there are two sides of the coin, right? One side is um, a lot of foreign companies and just foreign, foreigners in general, when they come to Africa, most of the times they come in with a huge social capital. Like a lot of doors are open just because they are foreigners, right? So if you tap into the opportunity to create something good, you're going to be up for, to succeed. But on the other side of the coin, I believe it's just a continental thing, really. We are so tired of people coming in and kind of like teaching us how to do and how to behave and how to live our lives, really. And most of the time, I really believe that people are well-intended, but they didn't took the time to understand what really mattered to us and what we are really valuing it. So um, a lot of uh, people here just make, uh, you know, they just listen to you. They say yes, they knock their heads and no business is going to be that made in the end of the day, right? So there is this like duality uh, going on. But I do believe that if you use your uh, social capital as a foreigner, and if you're genuinely open to understand what we need as a market and what we value, you will succeed, definitely. Just don't have, come with the mindset of, you know, you are uh, discovering it, educating and, uh, you know, colonizing or something like that. Um, people will 
if they don't express their resentment directly, it will be something very uh, subtle, but you still feel it. What is customer service levels like, or what are customer service levels like in your country? Right here, yeah. you know, you have to worry about what somebody says on Twitter now and what somebody's posts on Facebook, uh -huh. and it's beyond just the transaction with the consumer. Are you experiencing the same thing in your economy? <laughs> so funny thing, if you are in a capital city, um, most high-end products and services, they're really focused on their customer services. Like they're really, they go beyond um, to satisfy their customers just because word of mouth is a huge thing here. It's everywhere, right? But especially here when you don't always rely on social media or in digital platforms, uh, at least to get a, a sense of how a product or service really is. Um, so yeah, they really make an effort to do that. But then if you go, especially um, in small uh, towns or uh, more, let's call humble establishments, customer service is not even a thing, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. And I found that it's not necessarily because, I mean, they're, they're clueless about it. It's just that you don't have so many options. So in the end of the day, you're just going to buy whatever they're offering you, right? Mm -hmm. And some, it could be something as silly as, I remember I was in this beautiful beach in the north of Mozambique, and I was in a restaurant, and I asked for a chicken and chips, like the most Mozambican dish uh, that you can find everywhere in Mozambique. And they were like, okay, just give us 30 minutes. 30 minutes is a long time for a simple dish like that, but okay, 30 minutes, there will be. 30 minutes went on, and there was no food in my plate, no food in my table. And I was like, so what happened? Um, I ordered already 10 minutes ago. And they go like, oh, we don't have any chicken. I was like, so why did you guys just told me <laughs> that you didn't have chicken in the first place, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, things like that um, can happen a lot, especially if you're going to the more, again, if you are in a rural area or in a very small town, make sure that whatever you're asking, not only is in the menu, but you validate that they have it. <laughs> that it's actually in stock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they have it in stock. Otherwise, you'll be waiting for one hour for something that they went off to buy it. <laughs> you know what? That happens here too. That's not unique. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more, more than once I've seen people carrying grocery bags back into restaurants. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you'll be like, why did you just tell me that you didn't have it played, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Julio, it's been great having you. Uh, anything I should have asked that I didn't that you want to share with people? Oh, I guess it's a question that I get a lot of people who are trying to work with me or um, just follow like my, you know, the, the things that I share is that instead of focusing on what you should be doing, start asking you uh, yourself, who do you have to become in order to do the things that you want to do and to experience the thing that you wanted to experience? Um, I found that is way more a question of personality that, by the way, it's not fixed. It's a, uh, you know, a matter of mindset and really understanding um, the characteristics you have to embody than there is to do the actual strategy. I mean, Tony Robbins from the U.S. says all the time, success is 80% psych psychologist and 20% mechanics. So, yeah, focus on what you and who you have to become in order to make it happen. That's good advice. So, guys, everybody, the... Um link to his coffee chat if you want to talk to him more or hire him is in the show notes it'll also be on the post on timkubiak.com and thank you so much for the time today oh i really appreciate it thank you very much for having me here as always thanks for listening to both business. if you haven't already done so subscribe to your favorite podcast service tell your friends 
Follow us on our socials. Like, share, and comment. We'd love to hear from our listeners and our readers.